From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland inside my heated home. <laughs> oh, heat. Not st- oh my gosh, not the concrete of Beaverton. Yeah, well, not not even thinking that. It's not snowing on my computer in Colorado right now. Oh that yeah, that's is, right. Uh, Beaverton was actually a step up from Colorado. Much, yeah, a huge step up. I think at least 30 degrees, something like that, a step up. Oh my God, I was so glad I wasn't there. It was, um, <laughs> I, if I, not that anyone cares about how the media is feeling during games, but I, I think that MLS should have a talk with Colorado about what they put the media <laughs> through. Maybe they should have a talk with their schedule makers about them. Yeah, um, no, I mean, maybe they shouldn't have home games in March and, yeah. or at least open the season uh, at home. And, and that's just a product of the way their stadium set up and, and where they play. And, and that's something that I think that maybe they just have to deal with. I think the fact that you have media members completely outside in a non-heated press box with me and Kayla were joking uh, that the chairs were so low that someone my height, I'm five, seven, uh, could not see the field from sitting in the chair because the, the table was so high. So I was sitting on my knees on top of the chair so I could see the field, typing into my computer that was being snowed on and, and wasn't working because of how wet it was getting. Not able, obviously, to keep my gloves on totally. I have the fingerless gloves because I need to use the computer. Everyone's and so freezing, everyone is like has these red hands. Um, and I, I think, I'm not sure if there's anyone in the media who actually made it out there in the entire game. At, at some point, I, I think all of us had to go in and finish watching the game on uh, the TV in, yep. inside because um, it's terrible for the players, and we'll talk about that. But yeah, trying to work um, while, you're, while you're sitting outside like that. I, if Colorado wants coverage, um, that's not the way to do it. You're only 5'7"? You seem taller. <laughs> Maybe I just exude this confidence and I'm bigger than, <laughs> than my height. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, I am only 5'7". I do wear the heel boots sometimes. Though, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, your practice boots. Yeah. They they can bring you up to at least 5'8 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. No, th- I felt like, um, you know, all throughout the postseason last year, I felt like I told the same story about covering the one MLS Cup that was in Kansas City. And I actually think technically that game was colder but it doesn't count as MLS record because it was a playoff game no they looked it up but it, it, it's actually um warmer it was two degrees warmer okay that sounds about right because i mean if it was colder it was only like one or two degrees so it makes sense that it's it was uh it was actually a little bit warmer anyways very similar conditions i had to do the same thing it's just like if i'm gonna actually get work done i gotta go inside and watch it off a of tv so which was very similar to saturday because i watched it off a of tv <laughs> on saturday also yeah I probably would have been able to hear the volume better uh, watching it on TV at home. You would have been they... able to hear uh, Nat Borchers <laughs> doing play-by-play yeah. on Root. Oh, by the way, for uh, if he happens to be listening to this, uh, you know, on the Root broadcast, they announced why Ross Smith is away. His father passed away last week. So, Ross, uh, you know, I miss you. Uh, always do whenever I don't get to work with you each week. And uh, I hope you take the time you need and know that everybody back here is thinking about you, man. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Saturday's game, Jamie. Start of the season, three three was the result. Let's start by reviewing the predictions. 
<laughs> so you were a little bit pessimistic on how many goals there were going to be. And, yeah. you know, rightly so. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be a <laughs> six-goal game. But you had it a three-goal game with two of the goals going to Colorado. How are you feeling about that in hindsight? Yeah, uh, I don't think I got... Uh, I don't think I got my prediction anywhere close, really. Um, the Timbers held the lead in, until the end. The, there was three goals on each side. I got three goals total. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not feeling very good about this prediction right now. You should be feeling better than my prediction, because <laughs> my prediction was that the Timbers would allow fewer than two goals. And even after Colorado went up early, I still felt pretty good about this prediction. I felt really good about it once the snow started coming down, because I th- was thinking, oh, Colorado is going to be stuck on one goal the whole game. This is going to be great. Uh, but Colorado obviously scored three. I that makes me in my mind three times as wrong so <laughs> neither of us coming really close to this one so probably best that we move on from our predictions as soon as possible and talk about the actual game the coldest game in Major League Soccer history Jamie you talked about it from your point of view <laughs> your inability to work how about the players did yeah. you did you sense that they had any ability to work at all um I, you know I think there was actually some good moments from the Timbers and, and um I mean from both time both teams as well um although I, I think colorado's best goal in terms of them creating it uh w- was sort of before the snow started coming down mm-hmm. um but i think there are some takeaways we can talk about from this game in terms of the performance because because i think there were some good moments from the timbers and also you know you don't want to read too much into the negative moments but, but some of those moments we can talk about as well um but yeah I, I mean this was really difficult for any player to be out there playing and you could tell um, I, I think we want to start. Uh, Ga- we had a few questions about the snow. Gabriel asked, did anyone get frostbite? Um, I've seen the photo of Jorge Villafania where it actually looks like his uh, all the little hair on his face is actually yeah. frozen. Oh, some amazing um, pictures. <laughs> I don't think anyone got frostbite, but uh, they certainly were not warm. I, mean, I don't want to get too serious about this because I think there is a feeling amongst everybody who watched that game, who was there, who was playing in that game that you kind of just want to move on with your life after that. It wasn't fun for anybody. But you should never be coming away from a sporting event saying it wasn't fun for anybody. (laughs) And it was very clear at kickoff that there was a high probability this was going to happen. So Jake Zivin repeated it on broadcast many times because it was the question persisted on people's minds. At what point do you call this game? And he reminded people, well, the rules are basically if you can see the lines and the ball can roll, then the game's going to go on. We should probably revisit that because in addition to the game not being very good, we saw a lot of Colorado fans already a place where they're having trouble drawing people just elected not to go. And can you really blame them? Yeah. I mean, as a fan, I wouldn't have shown up for that. I think all respect to the fans that did go and sat especially, that. Especially the Timbers fans who <laughs> yeah. flew out there for that. They were, that was probably the most full section in the entire stadium. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, as a fan, I, I think that would have been, I would have looked at the weather report and thrown away my ticket. Yeah, Eric, kind of following up on the sentiment, asks, is it ethical to make the players play in those conditions? If it, isn't that level of cold bad for the player's health? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's something to, to be asked. At some point, you know, the risks that are inherent in a sport, the risks that you get paid extra money for, the risks that you get paid to put your health on the line for exceed what makes sense on any level and the only level this game made sense on was we just don't want to reschedule it it's too much trouble to reschedule it and i don't know it seems like there needs to be at least a second reason to keep a game going yeah i mean i you know i I can't speak to exactly what 
how playing in cold can impact a player's health. I, I mean, I think you'd have to talk to doctors or medical staff about that. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it, I think there should at least be rules that are, that are clearly stated that talk about um, contingency plans when the weather is too cold or too snowy. I mean, we have those types of contingency plans when it's too warm. Um, and, and there are situations, uh, I mean, we in the NWSL last year with air quality, there became situations where we weren't sure if, um, you know, maybe there would be a, a game rescheduled here or there. And that was a question. I, I think in terms of all forms of weather, there needs to be more of sort of a, rules laid out to determine at what point is this unsafe for the players and what um, is the league going to do about that. And yeah, I mean... <laughs> I don't know how difficult it would have been to say we're scheduled this game for Friday where it was hmm. 30, 40 degrees warmer. Colorado was much warmer and that the weather report was showing that a week out. Yeah. Um, obviously that changes, but it was really showing that this cold front was coming in Saturday. I, I feel like a, at, at minimum MLS um, should have been looking at ways that they could have potentially moved this game because I don't think it was the best game in soccer. I don't think it was fun, as you said, for the players, for the fans, for the people working the game. Um, they had to shovel the lines to make them visible and keep the game playable. It, it, it would have been a much nicer situation if had they, had they moved it to Friday. It would have been 30, 40 degrees. Yeah, it's, it's rarely a game that I watch on TV and think to myself, I'm glad I'm not there. But that was my thought the entire game this time. Thinking back, you know, <laughs> spending time in Costa Rica and Arizona this February, not having to travel for this one, perfectly fine with my life yeah. on that one. But it does lead <laughs> to a question that I think all of us were asking while we were trying to analyze or for fans trying to emotionally come to grips with the result. How much can we read into this game given the weather conditions? I feel like there's an obvious answer, but I also feel like there's a natural emotional response that fans should have to this. The obvious answer is, wow, that's aberrational. It was a record day. You can't really read too much into it. On the other hand, from a fan's perspective, you were probably seconds away from three points and you ended up with one. That's got to require some kind of response. Yeah, it was a really disappointing result um, from the Timbers. And, and no one made excuses after the game. So I've seen the players immediately said, this was disappointing. We have to be better. And, well, they said, yeah, the, the weather impacted us. They really tried hard not to use that as an excuse. I think in terms of analyzing the game, if you want to draw sweeping conclusions, that, that doesn't make sense coming from this game. You can't say the Timbers have a problem conceding late goals. Obviously, it's one game. We've seen that in the past. But you can't say that after this game because you don't know if the, the question of some of the goals they can see in this game is because they were having trouble seeing the ball and their hands were and feet were oh, freezing man. or if it's because they actually made defensive errors that are going to lead to problems that are more consistent later on. So I think when you're talking about those sort of um, bigger sweeping conclusions, you definitely don't want to draw those. In terms of maybe evaluating a few individual moments and performances and talking about ways that Timbers can be better or showed well... I think it's worthwhile to talk about those things. Um, but, yeah, there's only so much you can read into this game. Uh, today, one of the Timbers players was talking to me about the difficulties that came with trying to defend in that weather. Because if you're attacking, you are kind of can allow yourself to be in motion and also allow yourself to kind of, like, turn in a direction that you, you want, um, that you feel is advantageous for whatever is going on with the play. When you're a defender, you have to be kind of face on to what's in front of you. And what this player was saying is that a lot of time that just left you blinded. Like you're staring right into 
the ice blowing in your face. So little things like that, I don't think they came across on camera. We obviously saw how cold everybody was. We saw how difficult it was to move. Uh, So any kind of sweeping, like you said, sweeping analysis, sweeping conclusion, I think you have to throw it out. It is really tempting, though, to see the defensive miscues and try to draw some kind of conclusion or not some conclusion, but maybe move the ball a little bit down the road to a conclusion. But I have to admit, even myself, I'm having to push back against that because I kind of want to say, okay, we got to take something from Saturday's game as far as how we feel about this defense. But really, the only thing I'm taking from Saturday's game is a psychological component, is that twice the Timbers were up by a goal in conditions where neither team should be scoring goals. Timbers created a lot of chances. I agree with that. Tim Howard had a great game. I agree with that. But so many times in that second half, they were put in a position to win that game, and they just didn't do it. And I I tweeted this out on Saturday. It reminded me of the Chicago game last year, where Chicago, they played so well. They're up, and they just let the fire dictate the end of that game. Bastian Schweinsteiger gets on the ball a lot. They create those goals, and they leave what was Toyota I think Toyota Park or Toyota Stadium. I always get those two confused. I think it's Park. Park. I think it's Park in uh, Bridgeview. But they leave there kind of going, how do we let that happen? And it's the same thing on Saturday. How did they let that happen? I think after the game, Larry Smaviala was talking about concentration. And I think if you're going to take something away from the game, as opposed to maybe looking at tactical elements and sort of trying to analyze that a ton, I think... The one thing you can look at the defense and say is they should have been better in those moments and maybe they let those that concentration dip um, in moments coming yeah, totally. right out of halftime. They concede a goal within a minute. Uh, and then with barely a minute, two minutes left in a stoppage time, they concede another goal. Um, in those moments, they have to stay focused. They have to just be better in those moments to avoid those types of concessions um, when they're up. And again... It, maybe that concentration has to do with the fact that they were cold and yeah, they were focused on wanting to get off the field and, and things like that. And, and so maybe this isn't a problem um, in the long run. But yeah, if I'm going to give one takeaway from the defense, it, for me it is just more of a concentration thing so that they have to be better in big moments. And, and that's something we've heard um, from, I think, Savarasi last year towards the beginning of the year. It's something we've heard about this team in the past. And so the hope is that that's not going to be a trend again this year. And I think that's probably why Giovanni Savarese, in his postgame comments, harped on as much on when the goals happen as how they happen. You come out of halftime, you let Benny Failhaber scoop up that clearance, dribble through, take a shot, get the rebound, poke it in. Then in the dying moments of the game, you let let that equalizer happen. It's... It's not so much that the defense broke down. It did break down. But there are these moments when mentally you are, suscept- you are susceptible to being at your weakest. You're waiting for the, the after halftime, the game to come to you. Well, it came to you. It came to you really quick and you weren't ready. And at the end, you're just waiting for that whistle to blow and you're not holding your concentration yeah. through the end. But again, in talking to players today... It seems like they know exactly what they did. Like you said, after the game, there was the blame was squarely on each other's shoulders, taking responsibility because they've been here before. It was exactly a year ago that they were yeah. going through this again. And on one hand, it's it's kind of a shame that they're putting themselves in this position again. But on the other hand, they know how they pulled themselves out of this last year. They have one more point than they did at this <laughs> point last year, which isn't really like to me. I don't think that really matters at this point. But at the same time. 
they're if you're looking at the first half or the first start of the season, the first game of the season in terms of the obstacles that they have, in some weird way they're ahead of schedule. <laughs> glass Ugh. glass half full. I suppose. <laughs> I guess. Um, I think one other thing uh, on the defense that we should talk about is, is sort of the lineup. Um, and we talked a little bit about you know how we feel about the concessions and, and those moments. Um, but I think coming out of the game, uh, there was a lot of questions as to whether Cascante should be the the, sure. the center back in the starting lineup alongside Mabiala. Obviously, the Timbers brought in Claude Dielna in the offseason, a veteran, um, to potentially um, move into that starting role. We didn't see that really in preseason, him uh, playing with that starting group. At this point, do you, do you think the Timbers should consider going with Dielna over Cascante? I don't think anything has changed in one week. Like we were talking about, probably don't make any broad conclusions based on Saturday. And I think that would be a broad conclusion yeah. that they need to elevate somebody above Cascante. But I think certainly Julio, for those people that had doubts about him being in the 11 to start the year, he didn't convince anybody. Yeah. Uh, I just I just think it would be really, really unfair to go to a guy after that game and go, you know, you're, we're going to lose the starting spot. Now, if they said it because they feel that either Bill Tuiloma or Claude Dielna is a better matchup against LAFC for whatever reason. That would be one thing. But to kind of go, you know, after that game, we're just going to we're going to try something else. I think that would be really discouraging for the player. That being said, regarding the center back depth chart, well, one thing I want to note is that I think it's incredibly interesting that Bill Tuiloma appears to be kind of, you know, on a, almost the borderline T2 again. Um, he wasn't in the 18 this weekend. This is after starting multiple games in the playoffs playing well in the playoffs so i think that's interesting not entirely surprising but i do kind of wonder you know where bill's head might be at because of this because he did play well last year but uh, for whatever reason the competition during preseason has led to this but also i have to admit you know like i said last week i've been pretty pro julio cascante kind of from the first moment i saw him and i certainly recognize that a lot of people uh, are looking at the results last year and a lot of times they're seeing them differently than i am like the own goal against seattle i i almost don't blame julio that much for that but i do recognize there are other things that julio did that didn't inspire confidence so at this point i'm continually trying to ask myself am i too high on julio cascante and kind of in the same way there is nothing that happened on saturday where i really go that's it. That's the reason I am so pro Julio Cascante. <laughs> so I will be very interested to see what happens this Sunday at LAFC because last year against LAFC when Liam Rinchwell went down very early at home, it was Julio that stepped in and Julio did a good job in that game. And that was the first time I think all of us really saw, hey, this guy might be a legit MLS starter. Yeah, I think that he's had some good moments and enough questionable moments that there's a reason why that's there's sort of um this perception around who Gante. like I, I i agree with you that after a game in the snow with those kind of conditions it would be terrible for morale to start making big sweeping lineup changes and, and judging players on that performance um but i also think that that competition is far from settled yeah and i could see it changing very quickly i thought Cascante. He, even on the first goal, which I think is probably if any point of the game you can sort of read as a real game, it was totally before the agree. snow started coming down. Um, he needs to be marking Kai Kamara closer. I mean, he that cross goes straight through to Kai Kamara, past Cascante, who's not all that close to Kamara. 
Barr's a good player. Um, but he needs to be doing better yeah. um, man-marking I mean, on that goal. There's there's a lot of stuff that broke down on that first goal. You know, the whole right side of yeah. the defense collapses. Not enough pressure on the first ball that gets played behind Valentin, who is a step behind. Uh, Cerna Acosta overwhelms that yeah. side. And I... I I have to admit that I'm, I guess I'm being a little bit lazy or I just forgot to do this. I was really going to try to break down that goal more because it does look like Julio needs to be doing something. But it's always so hard when you're those central defenders and that happens because you're trying to maintain a line at a certain height so that attackers don't have that space there. But at the same time, you do have to get that timing right. You do have to recognize when your defense has been breached. You do have to drop. Uh, you do have to recognize when, even though those attackers are going to have a head start on you, you're going to have to make a play and it's a play that we see Larry's Mabiala make a lot I mean he's he's usually really good at that we don't see very many times that Larry's gets beaten on a play like that so I have to admit I need to take a closer look at that but when I do one of the first things I'll be looking at the first thing I'll be looking at is when Julio should have reacted first and if that timing is such if he should have been able to get to that yeah um I think one other thing I saw coming out of the game sort of on the negative side of it was um, some fans sort of asking whether um, the Timbers and Savarasi specifically could have done a better job managing that game. When you look at the Timbers only made two subs, I think Mm -hmm. substitution patterns are all all, often a big question after losses. Um, Yeah. And fair game too. two two subs that are more on the attacking side. One, one floor is coming in for uh, essentially an injury substitution Mm -hmm. um, for Guzman and, and Milano. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the Timbers should have better used their subs or better Sarresti could have better managed this game? I think it's a big ask to ask any player who has been sitting that whole game to get involved in the game. I think one um, at some point they felt that Abobasi needed to come off. They were kind of their hand was kind of forced on Guzman, but there was a time during the second half where you're kind of thinking to yourself, maybe they're not going to make a substitution at all today. And I think the elements may have been a big reason why. Now, kind of philosophically, the like-for-like subs and not going with a more defensive approach. Personally, I probably would have made more attacking substitutions or more possession-based substitutions, not attacking-based. But I certainly wouldn't have uh, sacrificed a midfielder or a forward to play more players in the back play a more defensive posture because we just saw how difficult it was to defend. We saw on the goal coming out of halftime where if the other person has the ball and you're trying to react to their movements, it's going to be very difficult. I would have tried to kill off the game in the other team's half. And I think to that extent, we need to be looking at, you know, Diego Valeri had a very telling giveaway late in that game where instead of killing off the game and just um, killing time in Colorado's half, he he gave the ball away. Um, I... I guess I do support what Savarese was doing. I would have supported it if he didn't ask these people who'd been sitting frozen for a lot of time, trying to warm up on the side for the little time they had to tr- get involved in the game because it was just one of those types of games where I think you, you almost have to roll with the guys you got. What, I, I, what, what do you yeah, think? I actually think that's, I hadn't really thought too much about that specifically, but I do actually think that's an interesting point because when you look at the substitution patterns for Colorado, they, they kind of had to make substitutions because they went down to 10 man, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't talked about much. And I, I think that's a big part of why this is such a disappointing draw. Uh, Colorado was playing yeah. a significant portion of the game with only 10 men. But in terms of the substitution patterns, you knew Colorado was going to make a sub there, and you knew that that, that was going to sort of dictate the fact that they need to make subs because they were playing down mm-hmm. a player. Um, you're right. I, I mean, getting warm in that kind of weather and getting ready to be able to play takes longer. And um, I 
not at all surprised if that was sort of in Savarese's head and, and thinking we're not going to get anything from yeah. bringing in a guy that's cold and has to run around for 20 minutes before he is even impactful in the game. I mean, Lucas, you can you can think about in terms of like, look, if we're going to try to win possession, gain territory, Lucas is going to be our best forward to try to race past the opposing defense and claim the ball. I think also, too, and again, just talking to the players today, there was as the snow was falling, they kind of had to teach themselves what they could and couldn't do. And again, just talking to some of the defensive players today about it, like the ability to react to players, as we saw in the failhopper goal where Chara couldn't get out to him, Mabiala couldn't get out to him. Like they were talking about the fact that you had to realize that you had to play purely positionally. You weren't going to be able to, to move. Like your instincts were useless and even harmful at that point. And I hadn't thought about this before the show, but how long was it going to take for Flores and Milano or the third substitute to realize that? So, uh, you know, ultimately I feel like I've kind of like offered a defense of Savarese here. I think it's just another one of those things where we just have to like throw up our hands and go with these elements. It's probably not worth thinking about too much. Yeah, And that's sort of my feeling because I, I can see the reason of why in the elements sort of now that you've said it, why he would have made the substitution patterns that he did. Um, and so if it, this is a concern, if a lack of subs is something we need to be talking about, yeah. let's talk about it once it happens in two, three more games where the conditions um, are a better, it puts the Timbers in a better situation where they can actually make subs. Yeah, because last year there was really never a fear to bring on Lawrence Olam or bring on Bill Tuiloma and go to three center backs. And yeah. I, I just don't think that's changed in the offseason very much. Now, the other side of the coin, there might be a tendency to go, well, at least the Timbers attack was good. <laughs> but I think the same logic holds here. Yes, the Timbers attack was good under the circumstances. They did a good job to create three goals under the circumstances. Yeah. But once you remember that under the circumstances is probably the most important part of anything we say here I don't think we can say anything about the Timbers attack yeah I I agree with that again in in terms of the sweeping uh, conclusions I do want to make two points about the Timbers attack and and we'll see how it sort of carries forward okay I'm going to rate you one to ten on these points (laughs) the quality of your points are in focus here I I think the the two things that I, I took away from the attacking performance was one, Jeremy Bobasi basically wasn't in the game for the majority of the time he was on the field. Um, yeah, and, that's, I agree with uh, that. He took one shot. Um, I don't remember the shot. It wasn't on target. And he had the fewest touches and fewest uh, passes of anyone in the starting lineup on mm. the Timbers. Um, so he very much was not a factor in the game. Um, that was disappointing to see. He's a player, given that the Timbers haven't signed a designated player, he's a player that's going to have a big opportunity to prove that he deserves a starting role mm-hmm. and is going to, it's going to be important that he can be influential be in such an important position as if he's going to continue to start. Yeah. Um, again, take it with a grain of salt, the snow. We don't know. Maybe he reacted worse than others. Um, the other thing, though, was that I thought Andy Polo had a great game. I thought he had uh, a really good game, too. The snow didn't seem to impact him at all. I, my I don't computer know. clearly agrees. Maybe <laughs> a nice ring for that. Um, yeah, maybe maybe in Peru. I, does it snow in yeah, Peru? Yeah, they got some pretty they got some pretty tall mountains yeah. in Peru. Maybe maybe it goes up to the mountains and plays soccer. I don't mean this is a pun, but they got the Andes yeah. down there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought Andy Polo had a, a really promising game, and I, I think what what excited me was that he was a lot more influential in the attack than we saw yeah. last year. Um, just with his ability to sort of drive at the defense, use his speed to cause problems. He 
obviously it was an own goal, but he set up the own goal for Colorado, um, which was the Timbers' third goal with his cross. Mm -hmm. um, the shot that I think he took um, uh, at least one shot in the game, sure. maybe two. Um, that left-footed shot from in, just inside the arc, yeah, I, I mean, t Tim Howard had to make a pretty good save to, to deny him. Yeah, uh, that was close to a goal. Yeah, and there was other points when you were just saw him driving at the back line that he was creating problems. So that is sort of the end of Polo um, when the Timbers signed him that they were talking about. A player that can drive at the back line, create yeah. problems, set up goals. And that's really exciting to see because I don't think – and some of it's you positionally. Wow. I am. Um, some of it's positionally. The Timbers played him more in a set, like in a deeper midfield role a lot yeah. last year. Um, but this is not an Andy Polo we saw very much last season. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's got to be one of the big encouraging things, even before the snow really started to settle in. This is something that I was a little bit hesitant to talk about in preseason because kind of the theme of preseason is how, how seriously should we be taking this? Yeah. You know, for two seasons in a row, we've talked about the team wanting to play higher lines, wanting to press higher up the field. And it come the regular season, pragmatism sets in a little bit. And during preseason, I saw that both... Blanco and Polo were more aggressively using the space underneath Jeremy Abobasi with Diego Valeri even earlier in the phase than we're used to clearing out that uh, clearing out that space, going out to the right wing or going along the forward line and really allowing the Timbers to have another player come in there. And sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes the Timbers were just overloading a side with all of Polo, Blanco, and Valeri together and relying on the fullback for the width. And that's something we started to see a little bit more as the season went on last year, but I think they got a lot more aggressive about it this preseason. If that continues to happen, more of the pure wingerness of Andy Polo is going to come out, and I think we're going to see more uh, performances like this. Now, how is that going to translate to goals and assists? I think we definitely saw an avenue to a lot more assists. Yeah. Uh, goals, you know, finishing last year, I think, was something that was lacking. Uh, and he, although he did have that one really good shot, there weren't like a ton yeah. of opportunities to finish. At the same time, if he had another year where he had two or three goals but it, he upped it to seven or eight assists that's kind of a darlington nagby line all of a sudden right yeah if he's if he's getting significant numbers of assists and you have valeria blocko scoring at the rates you want them to score and you hope that a Bobasi, um is able to score goals consistently enough that that sounds like a pretty good attack um yeah. we don't know if that's going to happen but that hypothetically it's, sounds it's like a great all attack theory. <laughs> after one game of the snow it is all theory well one thing that happened during that game in the snow one of the substitutes that was necessitated was david guzman coming out of the game late in the match rusito flores coming on finishing out the match in central midfield much uh, the same role that he served in the seattle away game in the playoffs last year performed it well David Guzman, we don't have an official injury update. Giovanni Savarese's press conference is later in the week this week than usual, but he was at training today. He did come out with the team on time. He wasn't training on the side. And uh, talking to David, I got to admit, Jamie, uh, you can go ahead and chastise this, <laughs> me for this if you want to because I should be chastised a little bit. I didn't ask how are you. I just kind of... Well, no, I did ask how are you, but in the same way that I ask <laughs> yeah. you how you are every time I see you. So there wasn't a how is your injury. It was more just kind of like he seemed normal. So yeah. we'll have to wait for official word, but uh, I would say that there isn't very much reason for people to worry. Yeah, that, that all sounds promising. So let's talk about a game that hopefully we can have takeaways from <laughs> Hopefully, after the fact, because it's not going to snow in Los Angeles. 
Oh, you. Uh, that's my prediction. It is not going to snow wow. in Los Angeles. That's a 0.1 point prediction <laughs> right there. Um, Timbers will go to LAFC on Sunday. Uh, the game will be at 4.30 p.m. It's probably will be sunny because it's LA, but I don't actually know that for sure. It will mm. not snow. Um, LAFC had sort of the opposite um, <laughs> game as the Timbers. They did not concede a late goal uh, in their season opener. They scored, they scored a, late a late goal. goal. They beat Sporting Kansas City 2-1 uh, to one, uh, at home um, off a stop, second, second half stoppage time goal. Yeah, I, I thought this was the most entertaining match yeah. of the weekend. Uh, I thought both teams, it was a very open game, both teams creating a lot of chances, both teams unrelenting in the style of game they wanted to play. I thought it was incredibly interesting, sporting Kansas City, just reluctance to kick the ball along, so you had a lot of LAFC pursuing sporting Kansas City as they were playing along the back, sometimes playing along their own end line to try <laughs> to find room. I thought it was great, and I thought I thought LAFC looked really good. Uh, so good that through most of the game I was sitting there going, you know what, Richard, you've been reluctant to put LAFC in the same category as Kansas City and Seattle throughout the whole offseason. Why was that? And I really started thinking about, okay, if Christian Ramirez is going to be a consistent starter at number nine for them this year, and that's unclear because Adama Diamante yeah. came on late, scored that goal. But defensively, Christian Ramirez is a lot more flexible. If they want to move Rossi or Vela up to the number nine, Ramirez can go out to the wing and do that work on the wing, and they don't have to really change their approach. And then having somebody like Segura in defense, I don't really know how that's going to work in the long run, but I saw some good plays from him, so I thought that was encouraging. I think the biggest thing is, throughout their first two months of their season last year, I thought Mark Anthony Kay was, was, was probably their second best player behind Carlos Vela. And in factoring in how good I think they're going to be this year, I completely forgot that they lost him early last year. That's a really good player, and I particularly like the role where they have Eduard Atuesta, their young Colombian, playing as a defensive midfielder, freeing up Mark K to have his impact higher up the field, and much the same way that Diego Chora sometimes is freed up when Davi Guzman is holding, or last year when Lawrence Olin was in the lineup. I think LAFC, after watching that game, was underappreciated by me this offseason. Uh, at the same time, I, th- I think it's going to be a really interesting game last year. If the three games these two teams played each- against each other last year is any indication, and neither of these teams have changed that much, we're in for a good game on Sunday. Yeah, the Timbers uh, went, I guess, one one and one against LAFC. If you're going to include U.S. Open Cup, they mm-hmm. lost in U.S. Open Cup. They went down there. Um, regular season and got a draw and they beat them at home um, which might be part of why I'm underestimating them because it felt like the Timbers had a great game plan against them even though they had all these supposedly you look at the names on their roster a lot of really good players Last year really seemed like the Timbers knew how to play against this team. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, the short rest game while they stayed in Los Angeles that whole week at Open Cup, it did. It was different. LAFC did were in front for most of that match, although the Timbers did make it a game late. Uh, but I thought up here the first game, Providence Park, Timbers were a little bit better down there. I don't think the Timbers were better, but the Timbers played a very good game on the road against them. And kind of when you're going player for player. You know, maybe it's bias here, but the, there are players on LAFC that I do wonder where they would rank on the Timbers. Now, 
there's no Carlos Vela on the Twitter t- Timbers either. I think that you can make an argument that Blanco, Valeri, Tra are capable of having the same impact, but Vela is one of the league's superstars. And I don't think Diamande would be sitting on the bench over in Portland right now. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, if he is, it's a completely just style-based. It's not <laughs> results-based, obviously. He's had a great scoring record in the league, but a Christian Ramirez would be very valuable for uh, the Timbers too. So I think these Timbers, uh, talent-wise... These teams match up very well against each other, I think. Uh, the major differences that I see is that Bob Bradley is instituting a style that is very much based on style. Yeah, I think that some people are fans of him, like <laughs> like Porkchop. And most people will look at LAFC and say, this is a very attractive team. It's not that the Timbers are ever unattractive. In fact, I think they're a pretty attractive team to watch. But there is a pragmatism to how yeah. the Timbers approach their week-to-week uh, their week-to-week tasks. Every week is a final. Every game is a final. That uh, makes this a good matchup, I think. I think Sporting Kansas City got an early goal. It changed that game. But you saw two teams that were sticking to their style. And for most of that game, I thought LAFC were the better side. The Timbers are going to offer a much different challenge to Bob Badley's corp. In terms of just sort of a different challenge, I mean, what do you think the Timbers need to do here to get a result? Because if I remember last year, I think at the time they were playing LAFC, they, this, they were not playing the 4-3-3 formation for sure. I yeah. think they were playing a little bit more defensive-minded, um, pragmatic, as you kind of said. Um, and now the Timbers are sort of playing a somewhat different style of play. So what do you think that they need to do to get a result on Sunday? Well, based on what we saw from LAFC on Sunday night against Kansas City, they are going to press. They are going to pursue the ball. They're going to uh, they're going to try to keep their lines tight too, which means at times you're going to be able to draw their center backs high. This is just what happens with pressing teams. So if the if the Timbers are able to maintain possession, maintain their composure, it kind of in a little bit of the same way that we saw in the MLS Cup final against Atlanta. Atlanta a lot of times would play long balls and then press you and try to get you to give up the ball on your own end. And for a lot of that game, the Timbers were actually pretty good about dealing with that. But it's about being dangerous, too. I don't think the Timbers had a ton of dangerous moments in Atlanta, so they're going to have to be better than that. It's about maintaining that possession, taking advantage of the other team's over-eagerness, and then actually hitting them, uh, getting people like Walker Zimmerman or Eddie Segura in situations where they have to defend 2-on-2 or 3v2 or 3v3. And I think... I think that's kind of an obvious game plan, but where like kind of the rubber meets the road meets the road is how quickly players like David Guzman, Diego Chara, Andy Polar are able to find those connections up to Valeri. Uh, is Obobasi able to hold a play well and get the ball to Valeri, who then has Blanco already reading the play? And those little combinations, I think, are going to end up defining the match. Otherwise, if those don't work. Los Angeles is going to turn over the Timbers. They're going to get the ball to people like Diego Rossi, Carlos Vela in dangerous areas. And you do that enough and they're going to score goals. Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a tough game for the Timbers. I think when you look at this sort of 12-game stretch to open on the road to open the season, there are certain games you look at it and, and see them as possibilities to sort of steal those three points on the road. Um Colorado, I think, was one of those. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> but San Jose is one of those coming up. Uh, Vancouver, I yeah. think, is one of those coming up. Um, you have sort of those types of games. And the, it can happen, but this is, I, I think this is on the, if you're going to sort of rank which games are tougher, yeah. this is a tough place to get play against a tough team. Yeah, absolutely. Just the quality of the opponent. I think the only thing that I would offer is that this is one of the easier trips that yes. they have. Same time zone short as far as time on a plane 
not a cold weather place, a place where guys are not going to be so downtrodden to actually go. They're going to be able to leave basically 24 hours before the game. We saw this last week, too, where they flew on Friday to play on Saturday. They're going to fly on Saturday to play on Sunday this week. Gives them some little more time in town to recuperate. I think all of those things help, but ultimately they're not as important as the actual opponent <laughs> you're going to be playing. So uh, we'll see if the Timbers can come together with a game plan and an execution that will allow all of those little things to matter. But I guess we'll wait for predictions. But I, I'm really intrigued by this one. And I think it's fair to say LAFC should be, not fair to say, I think it's just a fact <laughs> that LAFC should be looked at as favorites here. I guess one more question I, before we hit some listener questions. Do you think the lineup's going to look the same as it did in Colorado? Or do you expect some changes? I expect changes. Um, I don't know this for sure. When I was watching LAFC play, I was definitely thinking that this is a matchup where we could see Lucas Milano start as a nine. I just think that if LAFC, like we were talking about, is going to press so high up, maybe throw an extra man forward. If their defenders are going to end up being high, the speedier option up top, or I think... Uh, trying to hit them get them get lucas in behind lucas milano in behind i can see a logic to that at least and i also think at any time jorge morera is going to get his first start i think as of this week that's something that might be in play yeah i I think my only question is in terms of morale and the psychology how much do is going to be thinking about that coming out of this game in the snow and if someone feels like they're losing their position based on how they played in the snow how is he going to make sure that that's not the feeling this is really tactical if they're going to make changes so that's the only thing that makes me wonder if there will be changes. Um, but yeah, uh, Milano for Abobasi, Maria coming in um, for Zarek at some point, and, and potentially Dielna for Cascante are the, are the three places I would at least look to see potential yeah. changes. Yeah, the, the one that really falls into your description is the Dielna for Cascante thing. Because I think with Cascante, if you really believe he's your long term option at center back, you have to let him make some mistakes and you have to let him try to play through them. And I think it'd be a bad, I don't think it'd be a bad message to send, but you would want to know the story behind why a snow game so early in the season would lead to that. I mean, the logic might be, hey, this actually is not Julio's job. We're going to be switching these guys as needed indefinitely. So I think maybe we should also not read too much into it if he he doesn't start this one. Let's go to some listener questions, though, Jamie. Uh, I'll throw this one to you first. It's from Heath. Heath asks, how have the players responded on the pitch after the disappointment of giving up a late goal this weekend? Maybe the best place to start is expanding on what you saw Saturday after the game. You alluded to it a little bit about what you were seeing in the players' responses. But what about their mood? Because they certainly seem to say the right things. But what was the overall feel amongst the players? Yeah, I I mean, it was clearly disappointment. Uh, You could tell on their faces that they were disappointed about how the game ended, that they expected to win that game and and were confident that they were good enough um, to go to Colorado and get the three points there. Um, They said the right things, as you said, but it it was genuine. I, I mean, you could tell that the players were not there to make excuses, were not there to talk about the snow. They were certainly cold. <laughs> you could yeah. tell that they were just trying to get warm inside and recover. But I, I think that there was a lot of disappointment coming out of that. And I think on the positive side, this team thinks that it's better than how it played in Colorado and that it can be better and that next week they can build off this, they can learn from this. Um, so I think that's the positive side of it. I, I definitely think after the game, there was clear disappointment on, on everyone's face. And today at practice, I think that that disappointment still loomed. That was the first time they were getting back on the field. I think they there maybe was like a little bit of a a little bit of a 
a figment of their imagination that allowed them to wonder what today would have been like if they were walking onto the practice field with three points instead of one. Uh, the the team has a day off on Wednesday as you're listening to this, and I I guess looking back on what I saw today, there might have been the mood of get the work in, let's try to be as positive as possible. But this week is really going to start to kick kick up on Thursday, and uh, let's not put too much emotional value into today Tuesday either way. So uh, maybe you and I can tweet about it on Thursday. We're both going to be out at Beaverton on Thursday to see what the mood is like. But uh, judging by this team, I think it's going to take a little bit more than one result to change their mood. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we'll have to be waiting and see. Maybe they need to have some urgency after Saturday. My gut feeling is that, like we've been saying all show, they need to kind of move on from this and see the aberration it was. Uh, speaking of moving on or not moving to at all, Igor, who was there in Commerce City this weekend, asks or says, the attendance this weekend was 12,717. Where were those people hiding? <laughs> yeah, it was, I don't think there was 12,000 people there. How many um, would you say were there? It's you know it is hard to judge in in a stadium because it's often more than you think because yeah. the, the the stadiums are bigger like even though the sections are empty it's not like there's only six people there um, even though it might feel like it there was pro- but it's, I would still say there was like five thousand people there yeah uh, I think that. Uh, the keys when you think of attendance and sometimes I wonder if I should even include attendance in my game recaps because it doesn't feel genuine all, uh, most of the time um, but it's tickets sold Yikes. and sometimes depending on what promotions are going on it's even tickets given away Right. Um, which obviously if you are giving away tickets that's a hit or miss whether that person's ever going to show up and so I don't know that Colorado did that right. um, but just looking at season ticket holders and, and potentially people that bought tickets and then we're like, no, this isn't worth it. Um, it, a lot of people that had tickets one way or another give as that were given to them that they bought, uh, that they bought because they thought they were going to go were season tickets. They clearly didn't show up. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with what everything you're saying there. Siri says LA galaxy have only three designated players. What are the factors that led to this shocker? MLS integrity, falling Los Angeles Galaxy status, rising Atlanta status, general <laughs> owner blowback, Paul Tenorio's article, or public pressure. That it is. Those are a lot of explanations, Siri. <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of those with us. And for people who don't know, the drama last week was that Los Angeles Galaxy were carrying four designated players on their roster. Towards the end of last week, right before the compliance deadline, they bought out Giovanni Dos Santos, who is no longer a Major League Soccer player. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a perception, a fair, a fair perception, that MLS has given, uh, let the Galaxy sort of bend the rules or change the rules for them over the years to sort of bring the league along um, and sort of give an LA Galaxy an unfair advantage in the process. I think in the past, when the Galaxy were sort of a step above all the original MLS teams, maybe it was necessary to bring the league uh sort of along and help it to continue growing. Um, I think there's, I don't know if MLS integrity is the word that I would use, but I I do think the the idea of having clubs like Atlanta in this league pushing back and saying, well, we have to follow these rules. And if we don't, we we're happy to bring in four DPs and more teams like that. um, And having sort of the general managers that were out um, publicly or at least being quoted without their names attached to it. Um, saying that they were not okay with this situation. If we're yeah. going to change the rules, we'll all have 40 Ps. Um, I, I think those kind of things, that kind of public pressure, the the media out there sort of led to MLS doing what is the right thing here. Um, because if they want to change that rule, which I think 
there's a lot of reasons why you think that maybe they should change that role, give teams more opportunities to bring in better talent and make the league and level play better in the long run. Obviously you leave some teams behind that aren't willing to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real question, but obviously it shouldn't be done in a way where you just bend the rules for one team. Yeah, that's definitely Taylor Twelman's point of view is that this, you know, regardless of how it's worked out, is going to be something where MLS is going to have to reconsider uh, because there are going to be other teams and there maybe even are other teams now that want to uh, expand or have more flexibility in how they spend. But I, I personally don't think that Major League Soccer was ever going to let the Galaxy have four designated players. I know there because of history, there's obviously... Decent reason to speculate that, and the fact that this played out to the extent it did, it led to that speculation. But as uh, Paul Tenorio reported in the middle of February, there had been basically a solution presented to the Galaxy. Look, you can keep Giovanni Dos Santos, but he's going to be a, he's going to cost you one point five million dollars, which is the TAM the TAM uh, threshold, the amount, the most you can pay a TAM player. You're going to have to pay him down to the max salary. Kit hit limit with Tam each of these four years and you can't trade that it's on your books no matter what if you do find another home for Gio Dos Santos you're still going to have to do that and by the way you're also going to have to agree to get Gio Dos Santos to agree to a pay cut in order to do this so for a lot of people that'll be like oh my god they're offering they're offering the Galaxy a deal that they could keep Gio Dos Santos yeah but it also would have obliterated their Tam situation for the next four years and given them the most inflexible roster in the league. They basically said, the league basically said to the Galaxy, look, we're gonna, we'll let you keep Joe Dos Santos, but you're probably going to be a really bad team. So you need to decide what you want to do. If you're so committed to this, that's fine. We're going to give you an option. And also based on what MLS has done in the past with situations like David Beckham's, Clint Dempsey's, which didn't involve the Galaxy, other players, they, they probably would find a way to make this a league-wide rule if it happened. Hey, other teams can do this too, but you're going to obliterate your TAM situation. I think that's what the league would have made the Galaxy do, or else they wouldn't have offered them that to begin with. The Galaxy, wisely in my opinion, said, or we can just use this rule that's been on the books for a long time and buy him out because he's actually not worth that. He's not worth his salary now, and he's not worth obliterating our TAM situation. So they took the hit. And in fairness, this is something that was reported on a long time ago. I think in January, somebody reported that AEG has given the Galaxy authorization to buy out Gio Dos Santos' contract. And that's what happened. So I think in hindsight, it, it, it was kind of fun to talk about all that time, <laughs> but the obvious solution is the one that ended yeah. up happening. So it's kind of an Occam's Razor situation here, ultimately. <laughs> Jamie, can we switch switch directions to talk about the Thorns a bit? Yeah, and we Let's actually see. have some Thorns things to talk about because <laughs> they actually, well, a little bit. <laughs> Do we? I mean, they were on the field. We saw yes. them play. But now we're just, <laughs> we're back in the same Trade. situation we were last yeah. month with the Timbers. <laughs> like, okay, we're excited. And now a month of saying, does it matter? Well, let's at least bring up these things and then we can decide if they matter. Okay, well, the Thorns have had two days uh, of training at this point. Yesterday, yeah. uh, Monday. So Monday was their first day of, of training. Um, any initial takeaways? None. I mean, <laughs> I mean, none that's like different than any other year. I mean, it's just the first day of training. There, uh, like Emily Ogle, the draft pick is there. Gabby Seiler, draft pick from last year, is there. So now I can stop saying I've never seen Gabby Seiler <laughs> play. Uh, you know, you've got some people that were from the tryouts that are there, um, and then everybody else that is an international player is basically there right now too. Uh, but at this point of the preseason, like even if there were things to talk about. It's four weeks before games, so uh, just in general, nobody looks bad, uh, nobody looks hurt. 
Well, that's not entirely true. Catherine There's, Reynolds is coming off her uh, MCL. Cath- I thought Catherine- she was moving pretty well. Yeah, I guess, you know, for me, I've brought it up on this uh, show in other contexts that I think people have kind of forgotten about Kath a little bit. Uh, she is coming back this year. I, that's exciting. For me personally, somebody that's followed women's soccer and reported on women's soccer for a long time, having her and Angela Salem on the same team, it's going to be cool. Angela Salem isn't here now. She will be here next week. That's going to be exciting. Uh, and... The fact that she is coming back and she's fighting so hard to come back at this point of her career, I think, is very interesting. I also think it's interesting that you know she's still working to come back. She's not at hundred percent yet. They're still yeah. having to monitor her, and I think it speaks to the extent of her her knee injury. Um, and I think it's you know something that maybe we sh- I don't know maybe we should have talked about a little bit more, or maybe not. But at the same time. It is what it is right now, and she's still working back to 100%. Yeah, I, I didn't fully realize that she wouldn't be in training by this point, and so that was, I think, um, probably the most uh, relevant thing I saw in training uh, yesterday, but I, I did think she was moving pretty well. She was cutting, which I think it, yeah. it's um, cutting back and forth is something that you is a really good thing to see when you're talking about knee injury because when you're planting and turning on that knee, yeah. Um, that's not saying that's easy to come back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that was a good sign. But the fact that she wasn't fully back by this point, I, I didn't know if that would be the case at the, at, uh, heading into preseason. Yeah, I, you know, I heard little things throughout the winter about her status. But again, you know, until you can see something with your eyes, you never really know what to think. Uh, other injury news there is uh, Bella Bixby has a broken finger right now. Um, so she's going to be out for a little, not out. She's actually fully yeah, training that, with the team. So I, I was asking that question. So she's one just of not the training with Nadine Anger. Right yeah. Now. One of the, um, one of the reasons that, uh, sorry to cut you off, but one of the reasons why we don't necessarily have in, uh, injury updates is Mark Parsons isn't in town. So my biggest takeaway was going to be that the Thorns just, it doesn't even really look like the Thorns right now out there. Really? No internationals. Mark Parsons oh, is, yeah. is taking a coaching course, so he'll be back next week. Yeah. Um, so it, it looks like a lot of, I think, being Klingberg jokingly said, it's like a Thorns tryout because she didn't yeah. know half the people there. Um, but yeah, uh, so I didn't get an answer on that yesterday, so you just yeah. um, gave me some news. I, I was wondering, why why is Bella playing with all the field players and not, yeah, so uh, not she, playing goalkeeper? She's, she's not going to be able to do her primary job for probably about a month more, but, uh, you know... I guess that is what it is. Get some more work, ball work in. <laughs> and then uh, Lindsey Horan was at training today. Um, I, everybody who is a diehard Thorns fan knows she's not at She Believes Cup because a, of a lingering, lingering quad injury. She looks like Lindsey Horan. She was not working out with the team. She was working out with the head athletic trainer. But uh, I would say there's nothing to worry about there. But then again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an athletic trainer. I'm just a dude doing a podcast. <laughs> um, but... And I'll get you to talk about this. Uh, there was one an- other notable person at practice over these last couple of days, somebody who isn't going to be eligible to sign a <laughs> professional contract for at least four plus years. Uh, what what can you tell us about Olivia Moultrie? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say that she, you know, we didn't see a ton to say that she absolutely belongs in this level of play or or, or that she absolutely looks out of place. Um, to give context, I think we talked about last week on the podcast a little bit too, 13-year-old Olivia Moultrie. Um, became the youngest player, girls player, to uh, t- turn pro and forgo her college eligibility. When I say turn pro, it's more of in terms of uh, getting paid to be a soccer player 
player not really playing on a pro team. Um, she signed a Nike endorsement deal. That's really what makes her a professional without <laughs> college eligibility at this point because yeah, she's it's... going to be playing in the Thorns Academy. And WSL rules say you can't play in the league until you turn 18 uh, as of now. Um, European rules are, are similar where if you're an American, it's really difficult to join on with a European team before you're 18. Um, so she's in th- the, the big surprise though, is we knew she was joining the Thorns developmental Academy, but she was in Thorns full first team training. Um, and it sounds like if they, if the club feels like she is holding her own, um, it, they feel like it's a good thing for her development as long as she's getting her schoolwork done and none of this, is sort of inhibiting her social development. And they feel like this is a good uh, environment for her. She's going to keep training with the first team. Um, as long as it's a good environment for her and she's keeping up and actually um, contributing training in a way that it's not going to hurt um, the, 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 I guess, level of play in training. So we'll see if that happens. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing is I didn't notice her immediately. <laughs> I, I think that's probably a good thing. I wasn't immediately like, who's that clearly below the, the level of everyone else, 13-year-old on the field? Obviously, once I noticed her, it was very clear where, where she was there. Mm-hmm. She does not look like she's quite as old as anyone else out there. Um, but, but I think that's kind of a, a decent sign, uh, to not be immediately sticking out like a source thumb in, uh, in Thorne's professional training. Yeah, sure. I, I would agree that nobody should be training out there that doesn't belong. <laughs> and I, I don't think there is a sense that, uh, anybody who's been training out there the last two days doesn't belong. Uh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this the last couple of days because uh, clearly there's this potential for people like you and me to have to comment on Olivia Moultrie for the next four years. Uh, I think in general, my stance is going to be kind of consistent with the quotes that Gavin Wilkinson gave you that it's news right now. Of course, it's of course, it's uh, something to talk about. Of course, it's noteworthy. But part of the priorities here is to try to give her as normal a life as possible to allow this time between now where she's training at a certain level and the decisions of what she's going to do when she has when she's about to turn 18, when she's going to decide, OK, you know, whatever I, I mean. It's ludicrous to even talk about it now. I don't know what options are going to be there when she's 17.9 years old and she's going to have to make a decision about X path, Y path. Maybe at that point she has 16 senior national team caps. Maybe she has zero. Maybe something's happened in her life. I just personally, you know, I would rather just talk about this one as actually relevant to talk about. It's relevant right now, but between now and her seven, her, you know, the month before her 18th birthday, I'm not really sure that there's anything to add because. Uh, yeah, I mean, so much can change between now and then that it's so speculative. Yeah, I mean, for me, it will be interesting to see whether she sort of sticks in first-team training because um, it, it does sound like that's sort of something that's being evaluated based on um, whether it's good for the Thorns and whether it's good for her. Obviously, she'll be with the Developmental Academy, but if they feel like she's good enough that that she's not detracting from training... Uh, at 13 to be with the first team that that's yeah i mean a pretty significant accomplishment i i suppose i don't know i mean maybe i guess i haven't really given it that much thought because there could be a lot of other motives here like just she might not be one of the 24 best players in training right now but it might be best for her development to continue training at this level just to push her so i mean i don't know if if other people if other people want to explain to us what the thought process is behind that, that's great. I think we should trust them. I, it's very difficult for me to speculate on a 13-year-old the same way we speculate yeah. on a 22-year-old. Yeah, I mean, that's and, definitely fair. <laughs> yeah, and I also think that it's completely irrelevant, too, because any speculation we put into this 13-year-old now, it's not even 
it doesn't impact who this person's going to be when they're 18 and can actually play for the Thorns. So I guess personally what I'm going to try to do is kind of just say, hey, I don't know as much as possible until she either gets a senior national team cap, at which point like everybody's relevant when they're playing for the senior national team, right? Or she plays for a professional team, be that the Thorns or another team. Well, a a player that you can speculate on and uh, can give some analysis (laughs) on is Adriana France. Okay, yes. Who did play for the senior national team. What? No. Fake fake (laughs) news. Fake news. No, she really played for the senior national team. How many times have we said this? Every week, it seems like. You know, pretty pretty much the first time (laughs) that she gets called in and I stop saying, I think this is the time. Like all last year, I think this is the time. I think this is the time. You know, I think this is the time. This time, I was just like, I don't even care about She Believes right now. All of these teams are like in cruise before the World Cup mode. They want to win these games, but at the same time, they're... They know what they are at this point. None of these teams at this point are really kind of, I mean, like trying to answer big questions. Um, so even though Adriana French gets a start on Saturday, it was, it was kind of like, oh, finally. It's, it wasn't even like, and I think she has a chance to overtake Alyssa Nair. I, no, I'm really happy for AD. She obviously deserves this. Anybody who thinks the two-time reigning goalkeeper of the league in the NWSL didn't deserve this, uh, sorry, that's, that's not something I agree with. Um, And at the same time, whether she allowed four goals or had a clean sheet, there was nothing that was going to happen in that 90 minutes that would change my opinion of A.D. French. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it was the best outing for her. Um, I don't think it was a terrible outing. And I think the 2-2 result in sort of how the first goal, how the free kick was given up and and sort of her mistake there, sort of picking up the ball Mm -hmm. um, when she needed to play it with her feet. You can kind of look at that and say, yeah, this was not a good outing for her. I think overall, she wasn't, it would be unfair to say she was bad or anything like that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, yeah, it doesn't change my opinion of her. I've seen what AD French can do, and I am uh, would love to see her get more caps to see, you know, take the jitters out of that first game that you're thrown into after an injury. Um, probably didn't know too far before the game that she was going to even start. Mm. Um, it would be nice to see her get more of a run, and it's a little, it's a little bit disappointing that it wasn't the best cap, and now she probably isn't going to play for at least a while. Yeah, who um, knows? But yeah, and none of it changes my opinion of AD France because I've seen her play in, in Portland for two years now, and she's a very, very, very good goalkeeper. Yeah, I think anybody who has seen AD French play who has any kind of sense of justice in them should probably want AD French to get more time with the national team. At the same time, it's completely understandable ahead of a World Cup why Jill Ellis has zeroed in on a number one goalkeeper, wants to give that number one goalkeeper as many reps with their back line as possible, and preparing for France this summer. At the same time, AD French is still young enough to where she can be part of the conversation for the number one goalkeeper spot in the next cycle. And I hope that the team takes a fresh look at that point because A.D. French, in my mind, is the best American goalkeeper, even if on Saturday people still have doubts about that after Saturday. Uh, Listener questions. I want to ask the first one and throw it at you, uh, see if you have anything to offer, (laughs) because I think we probably have very similar things to say on uh, certain Miss Emily Ogle. Uh, Donna asks, thoughts on Emily Ogle. Does she have a chance to get a contract? 
I have basically no thoughts on her yet. Um, we'll see how that changes. But what I will say about the contract is uh, the Thorns can carry uh, 22 players, up to 22 players on the roster, and then four supplemental roster spots. And at this point, I, I think all four of those supplemental roster spots are up for grabs. Yeah. Uh, so at least when it comes to that, um, I think the Thorns might have 23 players on their roster, so there, there might be some questions uh, about maybe if one of those players ends up on the supplemental roster. Um, but in turn, the the room on the roster right now really is for those supplemental spots, and that's where I think Emily Ogle would go if she made the team. But there are openings there, and so some players that are in preseason camp right now um, are probably going to get spots, a few. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Um, too early to tell anything. She could she could have scored eight goals in training over these <laughs> last two days, and it, it would still be too little to form thoughts on. Uh, I do think that she. Uh, she looks farther along than I would have expected a third-round draft pick to look. But again, caveats, it's been two days that I've seen her, so she just might have had a good two days. The internationals aren't even here, yeah. so like the level of competition is going to change drastically. So um, maybe ask us in a month about that. Uh, Reed wrote in and asks, In a World Cup year, why doesn't Soccer United Marketing leverage its broadcast rights to help elevate the NWSL? It seems like some doesn't care about the NWSL at all. Why? Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't know why they don't, well, I don't even know if it's true, actually. I, I gotta admit, I haven't put too much thought into this, and also, um, I don't think some, I don't know what role some is playing in the broadcast rights game with the NWSL right now, if any. Yeah, that's, that was kind of my, um, initial reaction, it's just that I, I think of them as playing a role with MLS, and, and mm. that being sort of a, a stated role, um, yeah. whereas it seems like the negotiation within the NWSL when it comes to broadcast rights has always been uh, sort of the commission, well, the president, the managing director, whatever you want to call the head of the NWSL has sort of led the way on that with the owners. Um, I don't know if that's going to change now that the the NWSL doesn't have its uh, broadcast deal with A&E. Maybe we'll see this change in the future, but I'm just, I I think it's uh, hard for us to tell exactly what's going on behind the scenes and, and what role, if any, some was supposed to or ever asked to play. And, you know, um, some is, was basically the the marketing arm of Major League Soccer. So it, based on the relationships between Major League Soccer and uh, U.S. Soccer, it became very natural to kind of bundle those entities together as far as men's soccer is concerned. But the NWSL doesn't have the same links to some that yeah. that MLS does. And to this point... They've been able to, well, they have chosen to negotiate their rights independently. And that led to the pact with Lifetime and it left to the pact with Lifetime being resolved. And it's led to various rumors out there right now. And so we'll see what happens to the NWSL's rights. Uh, it'd be very interesting because I think the NWSL does present a very distinct opportunity for a lot of different entities to have a lot of different, co- a lot of content out there. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Kevin asks, uh, any reason or thoughts on former Thorn Savannah Jordan retiring? She had injuries before joining Portland, but is still quite young and was considered to have high potential coming out of Florida. Yeah. Mine, I, I don't know if, there there wasn't anything listed about it being specifically an injury, but I, I think generally, um, and I don't know specifically in this case, but generally you do see players retire a lot younger um, in women's soccer. The, the, the financial uh, situation is not what it is on the men's side. It's not what it is in, clearly for the men in Europe um, and other places around the world. You've seen it with former Thorns um, that have retired here at a young age uh, in their mid-20s in their prime. 
Uh, I think Nikki Marshall retired. Was she like 26, 27? Um, yeah, she, I'm not sure what her age was, but she retired a year after being called into a national yeah. team cap. So, I mean, Keelan Winters retired at, I think, 28 to pursue her alternate career. I mean, it's and it's it happens more often in women's soccer, but it happens in men's soccer, too. Like, I, I know of one player recently that retired at 24 years old because he was just kind of like, am I really going to get on this professional treadmill or stay on this professional treadmill when... Look, I'm I'm maybe going to be a journeyman. Um, we we've seen prominent major league soccer players ages 26 to 30 retire, and major league soccer players make living wages. I yeah. mean, sometimes people just want to go on with their lives. And while I don't think it would be well, I don't think NWSL players make living wages technically, but I, they definitely are making money to survive on now during the season. At least they don't have contracts that extend beyond the season. So, yeah. but during that seven seven month prorate, they're making money to survive on. So, um, if she wanted to stay playing, especially with the subsidies that teams are allowed to give players to cover some of their expenses, she could have. But I think it just speaks to how difficult it is for a profession for a soccer player coming out of college to really have an impact in the NWSL right now. Because Kevin is right, Savannah Jordan, a very prominent scorer at the University of Florida. But did she really ever project to be a starting player in this league? Okay, if not, then how? why is she playing? What are her goals? How long does she want to persist with it? And I think it's perfectly reasonable that somebody just says, like, eh, where's this going? Going to move on. Yeah. Jamie's favorite part of the show, <laughs> the predictions. We both got predictions wrong last week. We're essentially both... 0-1 this year. Zero is in the points column. We are worse than the Portland Timbers on the road in the a blizzard. That's how that's how bad we are with predictions, Jamie. Save us. Please predict a Timbers victory so that we have something positive to close the show on. I know how positive you always yeah. are. You're going to lift it up. Do it. I feel Do really, it. really pessimistic it. because it's just oh like God, we're opening the season. I should be really optimistic. Oh, but, but you're not. But, you're <laughs> but it's, not. we're on the road and... Uh, I mean, the Timbers are on the road, and, and um, you know, I've been on the road too, which is <laughs> my brain. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Timbers are on the road. They're going to LAFC. I, it's a really difficult place. It, it is hard for me to look at this game and say that the Timbers should be uh, favored. I'm going with a 3 2 loss. Pork chop, squeak once if mommy's wrong. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I don't. I think that's a perfectly reasonable bet. Just as last week, your bet two um, one loss in Colorado was perfectly reasonable. Uh, look, especially this per- this early in the season, we don't have a great feel for these teams. Although LAFC is a little bit different because they're playing with the same style with very similar personnel to last year. But last year, given the way these teams played, saying that the Timbers would lose three two in Los Angeles would not be a bad prediction. In fact, it would have been exactly right <laughs> once. So I'll give you credit for that. Um, my side bet on here is look, Sebastian Blanco started last season hot. He looks very good this season. Probably the Timbers best player on Saturday, in my opinion, scored in LA last year against the galaxy. I'm going with Sebastian Blanco scoring a goal in this one, whether it be enough. If he does score a goal that has <laughs> that waits to be seen uh, per Jamie Goldberg, they're going to need at least two other goals <laughs> this weekend to get a result. And we'll see the Timbers defense definitely needs to put in a better performance yeah. than they did on Saturday. Absolutely. Um, we actually do have a fantasy league. We don't have any updates this week, but that, uh, that set up a Mark, fantasy. Mark. <laughs> oh my gosh. Mark, Matt. I'm so sorry about that. But yes, Mark set up a fantasy for, league for us. Um, that really awesome to volunteer since neither of us are playing. Um, so we're going to give you fantasy updates, uh, like we have in the past, uh, just, it'll be starting next week cause we were a little bit slow in, in getting it set up. Um, but thank you so much to Mark, 
for making that happen. Uh, it'll be cool to see what, what team names emerge this year as the we have as to, we have better predictors than us. Yes, that was actually the awesome part last year. We have to tweet out the lead code from our uh, Twitter account. We did. We did? Yes. Oh, you, can, you, you, can, you can retweet it, though. You can tell how much time I'm spending on Twitter these days, uh, which reminds me. We have to talk because Jamie and I communicate almost exclusively through Twitter DM. Yeah, we've got to start texting more <laughs> because I'm spending less time on Twitter now that the season has started. Well, I'm spending a lot more time, so anyone can reach <laughs> me on Twitter. But um, to find this podcast, you can look on Twitter for our links. Um, but that's it for this week. Uh, and you can find us every week on uh, Oregon Live, Stumptown Footy, Timbers.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And until next week, take care. <laughs>